Good morning, church. Someone did ask me as I walked in, did you bring the book? Yes, I brought the book. And so, what he's, so, so we understand what we're all talking about. Nehemiah 8 last week, Ezra came up, the priest came up, and the people were gathered, and people say, Ezra, bring the book. So meaning, did you bring God's word? So here it is. Here it is. What a joy it is to come together. I want to start off the sermon with, our, with a question. Where does the greatest threat to the church come from? Where does the greatest threat to the church come from? Does it come from outside the church? Is it the internet? Is it secular media? Is it entertainment? Is it politics? Or is it, does it come from within the church? from inside the house of God. Is, is that where the greatest threat comes from? Brother Dave Casebeer, thank you, brother, for reading Acts 20. And Acts 20, 29, and 30 says this, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Where are they going to come from, Paul? And from among your own selves, men will rise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul says that the greatest threat to the church comes from within the church. And this is a large reason why Paul tells Titus, commands Titus, charges Titus to set elders in place, to protect the church. It's too big of a job for just one man. Elders need to come together and to protect the church. We need a team of protectors, a a group of guardians to protect the church. John Calvin, last week we said, has uh, the elder or the shepherd has two voices. One, for the sheep to call the sheep to gather, to call straying sheep to come back. Today, we're going to talk about the other voice, the voice that's reserved for the wolves and the thieves, according to Calvin. So we're going to turn to God's word here as we normally do and we we always do to find answers to hear what God has to say about this topic about wolves and thieves within the church. So turn to Titus chapter 1, 10 through 16. And as you're turning there, uh, just a little bit of context. Up, Up to this time, Paul was chronicling and giving the qualifications of an elder. He needs to have a healthy home. He needs to have a healthy heart or healthy character to be a good leader. And also, he needs to be able to teach, right? And and this is part of the reason why he needs to teach is to address the wolves and the thieves. So elders must be protectors and need to protect the church from false teachers, false shepherds, and false leaders. So let's see what Titus has to say. So let's rise as, as we read Titus chapter 1, 10 through 16 together. I'll be reading out of the Legacy Standard Bible. God's Word out of Titus 1, verse 10 through 16, says this. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them sells a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. 
not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their works they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and unfit for any good work. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this clear teaching on false teachers and what elders must do to protect the church from false teachers. Lord, I pray by your spirit, your word will be preached faithfully, powerfully, and by your spirit, I pray we will have spiritual ears to hear what you're saying. Grow our love for you and grow our love for one another through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please have a seat. What is the role of a shepherd? Not metaphorically, but an actual shepherd. We go to Palestine, and on an Israel trip, I was able to see shepherds marching their flock down the street, marching them on fields. They're around still. So what is the role of the shepherd? Well, primarily, the role of the shepherd is to feed and lead. Take them to good pastures and make sure they're safe. But also, sheep are some of the most helpless creatures on the planet. I mean, literally, a sheep will just wander away. If they get lost, they don't have the ability to come home. Like dogs, if they get lost, they know how to get home generally. Sheep, if they're lost, they're confused. If sheep fall on uh, on their backside, they'll suffocate. They're not able to even uh, get back on their feet. Sheep are very needy animals. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of dangers in the field. So shepherds need to be protectors. In modern day shepherds, shepherds may carry guns just in case of thieves and maybe animals. In the field, there are cliffs and rivers for sheep to fall into, to die and to drown. Certainly they can't swim. Poisonous plants for them to be kept from. They don't know the difference. It's in front of them. They're going to eat it. And predators, thieves and wolves, thieves and wolves. So what do wolves in the church look like? I'm going to quote Jeremiah 23 in verse 11 and 16. Verse uh, 11 of Jeremiah 23 says this. Similar to Paul's words, Yahweh, God, says this. For both prophet and priest are polluted. Even in my house, I have found their evil, declares Yahweh. Similar to what Paul just said in Acts 20. And out of Jeremiah 23, 16, talks about the content of these false shepherds, false teachers. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are not prophesying to you. They're leading you into vanity. They speak a vision of their own heart. Do you see this? False teachers, false shepherds speak a vision of their own hearts and minds. Not from the mouth of Yahweh. Not from the word of God. Not bringing the book. These are false shepherds. And Paul says the greatest threat to the local church comes from within. So have there been wolves at Evergreen Baptist Church in our history? I did some studying and I just wanted to see what type of issues have we dealt with since the 20s and the 40s and even to this modern day, our current era. Well, we've talked about Paul Nagano who came to pastor Evergreen in the 40s after World War II. 
all, by all accounts, he was a faithful man while he was there, but towards the end of his life, he did, abandoned the gospel and accepted and embraced universalism, meaning there are many ways to God, many ways to heaven. Thankfully, he didn't have that conviction he was there, but he went that way. And after that, there's a series of pastors coming through. Some of our uh, longer members have said that Evergreen has been a, was a church of revolving doors for pastors during that era, maybe the 50s and 60s. And there was a man named Toru Matsuo who came in. And he was on fire and zeal to follow God. Sadly, by accounts of things I read, even current church members who follow them, he started a cult called Agape Christian Fellowship in West L.A. and drew up many people to join him, to live with him. And to these members that gratefully have come back, they would describe that as a cult. Sadly, as we move forward into our current era, Ken Fong opened the door wide open to affirm same-sex union. And then his, the one who took over for him, Jason Ashimoto, who's the pastor of Evergreen Baptist Church of Los Angeles, has led their church to affirm same-sex union. We lost Evergreen Baptist Church of L.A. They're off the map now. How sad is that for all of us to think about that? Part of our heritage has been lost And why do I tell you about this? I think it's going to be very clear why I'm using names, why I'm being very specific of what the issues are as we get through the sermon. But I wanted to chronicle some of these men because history repeats itself. We need to learn from history. Otherwise, it's going to happen here. Paul says it's going to happen from amongst us. I mean, I'm only a single pastor, although I have other pastors underneath me and we have an executive board. I am the senior pastor here. These were senior pastors. I need other men. I need other elders to come alongside me. Because my hope is this, beyond me, beyond you, beyond your kids, Evergreen Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley will be healthy and strong until the Lord returns. That's the hope. There's a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake here. This is why Paul said to the Ephesian elders that you need to be faithful to the word. You know how I taught you. Keep that way and beware of false teachers. Like a parting father, a dying father to his children. This is what's most important, church. So we need to have elders in place. So today we're going to learn what a team of elders do to guard the flock. Number one, they need to be healthy protectors, protectors. So they need to, number one, recognize corruption. We need to be the spot out, smell corruption. Number two, healthy protectors must be able to reprove, correct, reprove clearly. Clearly. Number three, healthy protectors must be realistically, uh, realistically confront you need to have re- realistic expectations. Matthew 7, uh, 15, Jesus says, false prophets are like wolves and they come in in sheep's clothing. So what, do I, what does he mean by that? Meaning false teachers, false leaders, they're not going to come in carrying a bloody axe or look like a Halloween character, okay? 
They're going to come stealth-like. They're going to come looking like the sheep. They're going to come looking like you and me, sounding like you and me. The Bible says Satan comes as an angel of light. Satan doesn't look like what uh, cartoons and things depict him as. Satan comes as an angel of light. Oftentimes these men, even women, are gifted. They have charisma. They have style. They have an ability to fit in. They have ability to draw people with them and be very convincing. They've staked out the lay of the land. They understand the people. They understand who is prominent. They understand how to communicate, talk to talk, walk to walk. They know how to do this. They know how to act apart. Therefore, elders and church, we need to understand what wolves look like. We need to understand the profile of a wolf. So the first point is healthy protectors recognize corruption. Let's turn to verse 10 here of chapter 1 of Titus. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, Paul says to Titus. For there are many. That means they're all over the place. They're they're proliferating like gangrene, Paul would say. These false teachings spread like gangrene throughout the church. This is not an isolated thing. It wants to spread like disease in the church. And they're rebellious. That means they're insubordinate. These wolves, these thieves, they like to uh, operate in independence. They're not super connected to the larger whole. They like to start their own groups and their own ministries and their own studies without any particular oversight. And if any true shepherds come alongside, there could be some growling that takes place. Rebellious. They're not submitted to the leadership. And ultimately, number one, they're not submitted to God. They're rebellious. Mark that as a part of the DNA or the profile of a wolf or, or a thief. Number two, they're empty talkers. They, they speak a lot. They have fancy style, fancy rhetoric, maybe. Otherwise, who would listen to them? But they're not grounded in the scriptures. Teacher, point to chapter and verse and explain it to me well what you're saying. Empty talk. So number two, they're not grounded in scripture. That's why you want to say, Pastor, bring the book. Bring the book. Show me through the scriptures. And they're like they're sneaky. They're very clever. They may use orthodox words and terms. They know Christianese, so to speak, right? They'll mix half-truths and mix in half-errors. They may even quote scripture and misapply it. They're not going to quote Confucius. They're not going to quote Muhammad. They're going to quote the Bible generally and misapply these things. Or they may have an imbalanced view, feel too strongly about certain doctrines. So they lead astray. They're deceivers. Not only do they, are they not submitted to God, they're rebellious. Not only are they not grounded in Scripture, they're deceivers. Number three, they lead astray. Herders today would, I've shared this before in the past, but herders would use sheep called Judas sheep when it's time for slaughter. And what these Judas sheep will do, they're they're sheep who who hang out amongst the flock. And the Judas sheep are trained to walk into the slaughterhouse or into the truck to be delivered to the slaughterhouse. And sheep follow sheep. This is how it is. This is part of the problem. Sheep will follow this Judas sheep into the slaughterhouse where they will be conveniently let go through a trap door and all the sheep that are collected will be slaughtered. They're deceivers. 
false shepherds, false teachers or deceivers. And these false sheep lead you to the slaughterhouse. So number one, they are not submitted to God. What do they look like? Number two, they're not grounded in scripture. Number three, they lead astray. And then now it says, especially those of the circumcision. What is a circumcision? Acts 15.1 talks about, which I believe are talking about the circumcision. Acts 15.1, in their own words, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So number four, the profile of a false teacher, false shepherds, that they have a false gospel. Meaning, believe the gospel, but let's add a few requirements for you to be saved, such as being circumcised, such as eating the right foods and meats, such as doing certain rituals, certain sacraments in order to be saved. Today, we got all kinds of false gospels. It's called the Jesus plus gospel, right? Where Jesus is not enough. I need to do my own part to be saved. Jesus plus baptism. We call that baptismal regeneration. Where you you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Unless you're baptized under their teachings, under a cult, you can't be saved. Jesus plus theology or Jesus plus gospels. The normal good old-fashioned gospel is not enough. So false teachers. This is the the false shepherd, the, the wolves. You can see where they're not submitted. They're rebellious. You can see they're not grounded in Scripture. You can see how they lead astray. You can see how they promote a false gospel. So is that clear, church? We have to be able to see this. Elders, pastors, we need to be able to understand this. Who are these people? And look what Paul says in verse 11. Who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of dishonest gain. They must be silenced. They're upsetting whole families. I'm going to give you an example, a vivid example, which is very personal to our church. We've had cults come through and affect our church here in recent times. I'm not going back to the 60s right now. I'm talking about in recent history. A Korean cult called Shen Chanji or Word in Life, Shen Chanji. They, the false gospel that they proclaim is Jesus plus a secret knowledge. Sounds like Gnosticism of, the, of a modern era. Jesus plus a secret knowledge. What they do is they infiltrate. They put on their, their, their sheep outfit and infiltrate local churches. They infiltrate college ministries. So if you're a collegian, beware. All right? And what they do is this. They're like the, what the enemy does in Matthew 13, 25, where while the workers are asleep, the enemy sows tares amongst the wheat. That's what they do. That's how Satan gets them in there. And what they do is they try to build relationships. They try to befriend people. They try to be kind to each other. Say, hey, this is great. And oftentimes they're looking for a certain type of person in that gathering. People who are well-trained, people who seem to be a bit insecure at times, people who are looking for companionship, people who are a little bit outside the circle of the flock. So they will target, hey, would you like to be my friend? And what they do is they invite you to these gospel rooms or private studies, and basically they isolate you from the local church. They isolate you from leaders, isolate you from other sheep, healthy sheep. 
And basically, they, they, they say this, you know what, that's great what you're learning at this Bible study or, or at the church, but they're not taking you deep enough. You need to know more in order to grow as a follower of Christ. You need the secret, deeper, higher knowledge. That's what they do. And they, they, go, they start training in this uh, in manner, and also they get invited to a bigger group for advanced classes, and eventually to the main church where basically unveiling happens. Throughout a series of those classes, the unveiling after a series of several months is this. They basically unveil that the true church is their church, and you need to believe that Lee Man He, who's 92 years old in Korea right now, they believe that the Spirit of Jesus came upon him, and he's the Messiah. He's Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what, exactly what the Lord says in Matthew 24. Many will come and say, I am the Christ. Don't believe them. Hopefully any of us would say, a Korean guy in his 92 year old is Messiah, he's immortal, but it looks like he's getting old. I mean, hopefully we could see that can't be true. Yet sadly, this has happened. This has happened in many ways, in any, many forms, and it, it's affected our church. I know it's affected our church family in a very unique and painful way. And it says that these, these people in verse 11, they do this for dishonest gain. For oftentimes cult leaders live large. Ezekiel 34 3 says that these false shepherds eat the fat, they clothe themselves with the wool, they sacrifice the fat uh, sheep, and eat the sheep without shepherding. They, basically these false teachers are self-serving. They're in it for themselves. They're not in it for the sheep. They're not in it for Christ. Oftentimes, these cult leaders own multiple homes, have multiple women, a man-centered focus where a man becomes a focus of the religion. These are all dead giveaways. And so Paul was saying this back then. This threat is still alive today. And if we want Evergreen Church to ward these type of wolves off, we need to be aware. We need to be able to recognize not just future elders, but all of us. We need to have enough, we need to be grounded well enough in the scriptures. We could spot out, smell out error, and to see bad intentions when they arise within the church. Verse 12, Paul quotes one of their philosophers, Epimenides. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Paul, Paul's point to bring that up was this, simply. Is that these false teachers, these false shepherds, are the worst of what Crete has to offer. They embody what the worst of Crete has to offer. They lie, they're lazy, uh, evil beasts, they're just feeding off their own desires, and they're lazy gluttons. They feed off other people's hard work. So I'm going to give you some thoughts there. I'm going to apply this a little bit to us. Elders and the church must be discerning. Word and life cult. They're critical versus uh, they're rebellious. They're rebellious is God's word. They're, they're critical towards normal reading and study of the Bible. The, the, the plain understanding of the Bible. They're critical of that. That's not enough. You need a deeper knowledge. They're critical against that. They're empty talkers. They start allegorizing the Bible. They start saying, this is, this, is what, uh, this is what this word means. It's a symbol of a deeper knowledge, and we have the answer. It's a mystical reading of the scriptures. 
And many of the Jewish myths that are talked about here in verse 14, not to pay attention to the Jewish myths, the Jews treated the Bible that way, the Old Testament, where they allegorized everything, and certain numbers meant certain things, and started coming up with all kinds of formulas and all kinds of things to mean crazy things that didn't make any sense by the plain reading and understanding of the Scriptures. Unsound interpretive methods. And they're preying on unprepared people who have lack of truth. We've got to guard against this. Church members, current church members have talked to me about uh, uh, non-members of our church, non-attenders of our church, join Bible studies and say, hey, why don't you join me on the Zoom Bible study? Be careful, is what I told them. Be careful, particularly this day and age with Zoom and all that. Be careful about just jumping onto any Bible study, is what I would say. Be careful. Find a ministry in our local church. Is that good enough? Find uh, people that you know and trust. Other, there's other ministries outside of Evergreen that are known and trusted. Why don't you rely on those? Why don't you talk to one of the pastors, and I'm grateful that he did. Ask the leadership. You see, the interpretation of the Bible should be lucid. You should be able to read it, be explained. Oh, okay, I can see why you got that. As a church, we reject certain mystical readings of the scriptures and you come up with these allegorical meanings, things such as Lectio Divina. I've had to talk about this before in the past since I've been here. That's not a sound, interpretive way to understand what God is saying. Remember what we said. There's one proper interpretation, countless applications. Beware. Beware of over-mystifying the Bible. So the elders basically provide the heartbeat for this. That's why it's being preached from the pulpit. That's why we're all hearing it together at the same time. So did you hear what the pastor said? But really, it's the sheep that needs to keep the ear to the ground and hear what's going on. I'm not there at dinner conversations. We're not there during all the Bible studies. We're not there in interpersonal talks. We're not there looking at what books people are reading at home. We're not there. We need to protect one another from false teaching. Therefore, we need to be in relationship with one another so we know each other. We need to do this. Let's go on to the second point here. Healthy protectors not only recognize corruption, healthy protectors reprove clearly, reprove clearly, they correct clearly. Verse 13 says this, this testimony is true about these false teachers. They are like, they always lie. They, they are deceptive. They are always like evil beasts and lazy glens. For this reason, this is what Paul says to Titus, the elders, for this reason, reprove them severely. They must be silenced, verse 11 says. We have to, when we correct church, we have to be clear on what the, the error is or what the sin is. It's not a general, hey, we don't approve of you. Find out why. Tell them why where they're in error. Teach them through the scripture where they're in error. All right? I mean, just like, how do we want to understand the Bible? Maybe you say, that's one way to understand the Bible. No, there's one way to understand the Bible. Nehemiah 8, last week we read that Ezra and Levites read the Bible And they explained it so that the people could understand the Bible. That's the purpose of teachers. No one has their own uh, independent, subjective understanding of the Bible. 
This is how, how it is. This is how orthodoxy has been carried out for 2,000 years. And then why do we say clearly, this word severely, maybe your Bible translates as sharply. Pastor MacArthur, John MacArthur says this word severely carries a sense to like cut off, like with a knife or axe. You have to cut this problem off. You got to cut out the gangrene. You got to cut out the cancer from the church. And I also want to ask this question because we are talking very clearly and there are some strong words that Paul has severely. What is the difference between punishment and discipline? Parents, right? Bosses. What is the difference between punishment and discipline? Punishment, hopefully you're thinking is punitive. It's like, I'm going to get back at you or you're going you're gonna to pay for your wrongdoing, right? Discipline is corrective. It's, it, it's to restore, to help make better to improve, right? Hopefully that's what parenting is about, right? And in verse 13, it says that so that they may be sound in the faith. Reprove them clearly. Cut them so that they'll be healthier. That's what Paul is saying. We're we're, we're concerned about the individual health, but also the the corporate health of the church. It's bigger than just one person, much bigger than one person. See, remember this, when I said this, uh, I don't know, however many, several weeks ago, I said, elders are the authorized soul care providers of the church. So when you know an elder, you can say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? City of Hope, grateful for their work. Dad was treated there. I know a lot of our church members are treated there. And first class care, grateful for City of Hope. And you know what they're in the business of? They're in the business of treating cancer, gratefully. They, they, they specialize in that, and they do their best to help the patients. At Evergreen Baptist Church, what are we here for, church? We're here to treat sin and error. That's what we're here to do, right? This is, we're all recovering sinners here, and we're all, all of us need to learn more about God. So therefore, whether you're a city of hope, you're loyal to the mission statement of treating cancer at Evergreen Baptist Church, we want to be loyal to the cause. We, we care about spiritual health care. This is what we care about, soul care. This is why we're here. And so when Paul uses the word reprove them severely or cut them, it's like a surgeon treating gangrene. I was talking to my surgeon friends and they said, why don't you talk to them about sepsis where the infection could come over the whole body and kill the man eventually or the woman eventually. We've seen churches die. We've seen where false teaching has taken over churches, sadly. So an elder must carry his scalpel. This is the word of God. It's not his own opinion. The elder must be a surgeon who's skilled, who's rightly dividing the word. The elder must be skilled in preaching and teaching and counseling and writing and warning and correcting. This is what he must be good at. And he must be doing it lovingly and very intentionally. What is the issue? This is the false doctrine that you believe. This is why the Bible says so. Nehemiah 8 or whatever you want where the word could help us. And we want to cut off the gangrene. We want to address the sin. We want to address the error. So we want to bring the word and bring it forth 
and make it very specific and target the error or the sin. That's what it means to reprove severely, church. Got to be, can't be general, can't, must be precise. Keeps the dead tissue from spreading in. How do we know when, when there's health? Well, according to my friend, he, you keep cutting, you keep cutting until you see healthy tissue. It has a different color than the dead tissue. And when the tissue starts to bleed, then you know that there's life there. And even there's nerves there, so there might be some pain. Ouch! So when you do reprove severely or reprove clearly, it's going to hurt. If it's so surfacey and it doesn't hurt, maybe you're not being clear enough. I'm hoping I'm clear right now. I'm hoping I'm very clear right now. And if it hurts a little bit, we're getting to healthy tissue now. We're getting to health right now. What does a gangrene look like? Not paying attention to Jewish myths, speculations, right? Legends. First Timothy 1 forces that this, the, the, uh, paying attention to myths and endless genealogies only give rise to mere speculation, confusion. So if the teaching is confusing and you're not clear, it's not helpful. I've heard people talk about conspiracy theories during COVID, all kinds of stuff. I heard people focusing on uh, Trump's re-election and prophecies that that was not helpful at all, right? Why do we need to focus on those things? This is ex- does this extra biblical content help me to love Christ and the church more? You should ask yourself that. Does this actually grow my affections for Christ and for the church more? If it doesn't, you don't need to be involved with it. If it causes only confusion and division and elevates spiritual pride, let it go. Let it go. The commandments of men, this is what gangrene looks like also. Not only myths, but commandments of men. This is man's wisdom. Man's wisdom. This is man's philosophy. Man's ideologies. The stuff that comes out of the higher education these days. Not submitted to the word. I took this out of Evergreen... LA's website. So this is their own statement. So we're very clear where they're at. Evergreen Baptist Church of Los Angeles being a theologically diverse church family. That's already a problem right there. Affirms the Baptist distinctive of soul freedom for our pastors in regards to wedding. I'm not sure what that means, soul freedom. I don't know if that, that definitely doesn't make you distinctly Baptist too. We are Baptist. We are Baptist. Soul freedom basically is the man or woman in their case can decide whether they want to do gay marriages or not. You decide. Don't, uh, don't go with God. You in your conscience decide. There's a problem there. Each pastor may discern according to their own personal conviction whether they will officiate weddings between any two adults regardless of their gender, identity, or sexual orientation under the supervision of the senior pastor. Need I say more? That's commandments of men. The world has crept in and killed them. I've had opportunities to speak to their pastor when I came here. And my hope was to make a friend. My hope was to kind of reach out and say, hey, I'm here. This is going on. I want to hear from the horse's mouth. What's going on? Sure enough, it's true. And my appeal was, show me through the scriptures why you feel this way. Basically, they 
allegorize it out of the Scriptures. It's clearly in the Scriptures, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Timothy 1, Romans 1, other places. Basically, contextualize it out of there, saying mean, it's meant for a specific issue for that time, but it's not valid today. As long as they're faithful and monogamous to one another, it's okay. And I pleaded with him. I said, you've got to consider Christ. You're going to have to answer to Christ someday. How do you feel about this? I'll even help you if you decide to come along the right path so that they will be sound in the faith. But what do they, what do, they do? They turn people away from the truth. Verse 14 says, they listen to Jewish myths, commandments of men, and who turn away from the truth. Sad for all those who've turned away from the truth. Grateful that we've gained some who decided to come here, who left, abandoned the burning house to come here. We love you. We're grateful that you're here. I hope this serves as a particular encouragement to you that you are being affirmed by this church that why you left. You weren't being disloyal. You're being loyal to the cause of Christ. You're being loyal to the cause of discipleship. You're being loyal to the great and awesome Savior that's coming back to save us someday, receive us to himself someday. So I just want you to know that. So I want everyone to hear that as well. And then some may think, well, was that loving for me to be so direct? Is it loving me for me to name these people? Why, I, I feel, that makes me feel very uncomfortable. Well, what's more loving? Is it to be tolerant of every idea, knowing that there are grave consequences coming? A bus is coming down the street. Go ahead, walk on the street. No, wait! Any good parent will say, in a clear way, is speaking the truth in love, unloving. I mean, think about, here's a little perspective, church. What's at stake here? What is at stake here? Why would we lose friends? Why would we become less popular? Why would we go under these conversations? The gospel's at stake. A local church is at stake. Souls are at stake. The reputation of Christ is at stake. Do these things matter? Of course they do. These things matter to us more than anything else. Finally, let's go to our third and final point. Before I go there, let me just read a quote that might be helpful. Mark Dever says this, An elder's ability to teach means that when wolves come near the flock, the sheep know that they can trust this shepherd to expose the wolf and in turn to protect them. That's the elder's great calling. So if you're thinking about maybe the Lord's calling me to be an elder, are you doing this right now? Maybe you're called then. If you're not, not yet. If you're not, not yet. Let's go to our third and final point. This is a shorter point. Healthy protectors recognize corruption, reprove clearly, and thirdly, healthy protectors realistically confront. Realistically confront, verse 15 and 16. Let me explain verse 15 first. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Maybe a Bible verse, Isaiah 64, 6 would help. All our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, the Bible says. These are uh, unregenerate Israelites. These are stiff-necked Israelites who are going through the motions, and they're doing all the righteous deeds, but God saw right through it. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart. That's right. So if you are 
pure in heart, meaning you've been a redeemed man or woman, and enjoy what you want to enjoy. Eat what you want to eat. Drink what you want to drink without going beyond barriers and, and prohibitions that the Bible makes sense of. But if you're by external purity, you could eat all the best foods and sacrifice all the things. You could wash your hands. You could attend church all you want. You could give to the church. You could go on missions, all that. But if your heart isn't in it for the Lord, they're like filthy rags before God. So that's what that portion means. It's like it's, God cares about the heart. These circumcisers believe in the external more than the internal. But let me make my point here realistically confront. Whenever you confront someone who's in sin, someone who's in error, verse 15 is so helpful. We need to be realistic, okay? What does it say? But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. That means that they're spiritually brain dead. Let me remind you about the doctrine of regeneration, meaning can a dead man understand anything? Can a spiritually blind man see anything? Can a spiritually deaf man hear anything? In other words, is this person even born again? And if they're not, they're just operating out of their nature. That's the issue. We have to be realistic in our confrontations. Because if you're not, you're going to get discouraged. Like, how come they're not responding? And this is one of the lessons that I learned here as a young pastor. You got to understand, I'm a coach and I'm used to seeing improvement on a lot of things. And so arrogantly, I confess that publicly, arrogantly, I'm not going to help people. But the Lord quickly showed me as I was, there's all kinds of false shepherds, right? There's false teachers, false leaders who are in sin. And providentially, we have to address a lot of things with leadership. And I'm thinking, oh, I could surely I could help them for years. We were walking, several months walking with people. Oh, they just need some time. They just need some time. Several months, years, gently, 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 more severely, more severely, more severely. And the hope was that they'd be sound in the faith. But sometimes they could just look right at you with all the evidence before them, with other people witnessing against them. They just look at you like, what are you talking about? You want to consider Christ? Can be discouraging. So as you're sitting there, you're thinking, I'm doing this right now for my spouse. I want him to be excited at church. I'm doing this with my coworker, my boss. Well, you got to keep in mind, it's heart surgery. It's spiritual heart surgery that only God could energize in any of us. A, are they a believer? If they're not, you're just talking to a corpse, spiritual corpse. B, okay, they, maybe they're a believer, but it's hard to tell. Maybe they're a believer, yet it could be so hardened that it takes time. So just keep praying. But the point is, it may not ever happen, or it may take a long time. So be realistic in your correction. Let's just hear, hear from the good Lord here, the good shepherd here. Let's turn to Matthew 7 here. This is very helpful. He actually preaches on this topic at the Sermon on the Mount. He's got a big crowd, a crowd full of uh, genuine seekers, crowd full of wonder seekers, a crowd full of Pharisees and false teachers, and he preaches on this. Matthew seven, fifteen. Look what he says here. 
We'll end it with his words here, and we'll go from 15 down. But the Lord preaches, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. There it is. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. They want to eat you. They want to consume for their own appetite. What, is the, what, did the, what did they say in Epimenides say? They're evil beasts, right? You will know them by their fruit. Be discerning, evergreen. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. So as you reprove people and correct people, watch their lives. Just keep watching. Don't just go off of their word. Watch their lives. Is it before declaring health, you are restored? Be careful of that. Early declaration may lead to more darkness. Is this remorse or repentance? Is this remorse or repentance? What is remorse? Worldly sorrow. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry you are confronting me. This is very uncomfortable. If only I didn't uh, make it so obvious, I wouldn't have got caught. Those are, that's worldly sorrow. Or is it repentant? Or is it godly sorrow? Yes, I've sinned against you, God. I sinned against the church. This is wrong. Help me be restored. A repentant life is a changed life. They turn from their sin and they turn to Christ. They allow other brothers and sisters to uh, enter into their lives. That's what we're called to do. We have to be fruit inspectors before we declare health. What kind of fruit is being produced? Now, church, I'm almost done. I got about two or three minutes here, but I want to um, just put a pause here, if that's okay. That, that sermon is kind of done. I usually, I have kind of a crescendo, but I, I want—I thought this was important enough. I want everyone to listen, young and old. All right, if you got your iPads or what books, put it down. Listen to me. If you only remember this one thing from this message, I want you to remember this. I'm alarmed that many of us do not understand the gospel. Some of us have been here for decades and we don't understand the gospel. The good thing about a shepherd that's around, you get to talk to people and enjoy people and hear people talk. Tell me your testimony. And all of a sudden, it has nothing to do with Christ. So please listen. And if you know the gospel, just say amen, amen, and pray for those in your heart that know, that you know, that don't understand the gospel. I'm going to read Matthew 7, 21 to 20. I'm just continue on with the Lord's sermon here. I just basically jumped on his back and letting the Lord finish the time here. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name did we not prophesy, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name do many miracles. In other words, many will people say, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. If there's a strike attack like there was in Israel, hundreds of people are dead all of a sudden, and then this, our, our roof just collapses on us, and we're all dead at one point, and we all see the Lord for the first time. And he says to you, Sitting there now, pay attention. 
It's not time to whisper to each other, pay attention, please. Why should I let you enter the kingdom of heaven? What would you say? Why should I let you into the kingdom of heaven? What are you going to say? If you said, I, I went on mission trips, I told people I believed in God. If I said I attended church for 15, 16 years, I gave to the church. If you said that I hung out with many Christian friends, if you said my mom and dad are believers, if you say I served in the church, that door is going to be closed to you. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not do this and that for you? That's what verse 22 says. And then I'll declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from you, you who practice lawlessness. Titus 1.16 says, They profess to know God, but by their works they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and unfit for any good work. Meaning a profession of that I believe in God is not going to be it. Have you given your life to Christ? So if your answer is any of those things, this is what I did, this did, and, and that, this, therefore that merits me to go into heaven, the door is going to be closed, shut for you. But if you say... I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I know I'm a sinner because of Christ died for my sins. I know I can be forgiven. I've given my life to Jesus as my Lord. I obey him because I love him. Jesus, your son is my Lord and Savior. Then you'll hear come into the joy of your master. I know you. I know my son died for you. That's the issue here. So please understand the gospel. It's because of what Christ has done. But you've given, you trusted Christ to be your God, to be your Lord and Savior, who you desire to obey because you love him so much. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time to go over... uh, Titus 1.10, and thank you that you love us so much that you would warn the church. Thank you for Paul being pricked to be able to speak about these things. Father, I pray you teach our church to be healthy and to um, be discerning of error and sin. I pray, Father, that you raise up elders who are healthy, who are protectors, who love to protect the church, who love to protect their families. I pray by your grace, Evergreen Baptist Church will be faithful to you return. Will you do this, please, Lord? And I know that you have elders in place and in mind because your scripture says so to protect us to the very end. Thank you, Father. It is by your grace alone, only by your blood, only by your grace that we could expect this to happen with or without elders. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.